And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Hey, this is a rock and roll museum. You guys don't belong in here. <laughs> They ranted, they fainted, their eyes were glassy, some pulled their hair out, some tore their dresses. They threw notes of a very uh, undesirable nature on the stage. I'll tell you all about it. Welcome to Long Play. A podcast where nerds rock out with their Spock out. Alright, welcome to another episode of Long Play. I'm guessing this is episode 8, where uh, 6 and 7 have been the episodes of Evil with uh, Black Sabbath... And a little Iron Maiden. And I guess we're... We're sort of seeping out of the evil, maybe? Maybe not. We're, we're going into some King Crimson. And this is a... As you can hear, this is a weird episode because we are on the road. On the road to King Crimson. And when I say we, it's me and Mike Cross, Mr. Happy. Hello! And we're it's in Mr. A, Fun, by the way. Mr. Fun, Mr. Happy. <laughs> well, he's a dick, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Happy's a different piece. Yes. And we're, we're on the road to Albany to see King Crimson live for the, the first first new configuration of King Crimson since, what, 95 or no, something like that? No, like 2001, because I went to, um, went in December, no, December 2000, me and uh, Moffat and uh, Vargas Pike went to Toronto to see them in Massey Hall and uh, for that one uh, John Paul Jones trio opened and peeled the paint off the place and then King Crimson came out and made them look like amateurs it was awesome yeah but it was a double trio wasn't it yes it was yeah so it was that was the last configuration I'm talking like configuration I see I see this is this is a a Baluless King Crimson which for a couple people I've talked to has been like they were like eh a deal breaker for them, huh? Yeah. I don't know. There's been plenty of King Crimson without Adrian Ballou. Uh, I mean, basically what would be a deal breaker with me is no Robert Fripp. (laughs) (laughs) And there's not going to be any King Crimson with no Robert Fripp. So, basically, I figure any configuration of King Crimson is going to be insane. They've released like a minute and 20 seconds of them rehearsing. And that was without the horn player and the other guitar player and it sounded really heavy very uh lark's tongue and aspic-y thracky heavy nasty king crimson so i'm expecting i'm expecting that Uh, and we'll have a little report afterwards of what we saw but i'm thinking we're gonna see like a sort of retrospective i bet you we see some old old stuff, you know, John Wetton vocals type stuff, 
Um, kind of hoping like a lot of uh, the album that we're going to be uh, talking about today, which is Red. And I, why do we why do we pick Red? I, um, I like it a lot. That's why I was well into because it. last night on the phone you said which album would you like to cover, and it took me maybe three seconds to come up right. with Red. It's it's always been one of my really really big favorite King Crimson albums. I mean, I love John Wetton's vocals, and I love that um, that rhythm section of Wetton and Bill Bruford. Yeah, and and that that album was really just uh, a trio at that point. It was Fripp and and. Uh, Wetton and Bruford, and, and I think Mel Collins. Mel Collins and another saxophone player, yep, but they were all player. sort of, they were all sort of listed separately. They were right. all sort of uh, like there's an unnamed cello player in one song, right? And right. It, stuff like that. So it was basically a trio. And you know what? I wouldn't be surprised to find out that cello player might have been Hugh McDowell from ELO, right? Because he has since played with uh, Wetton when Wetton gets together with. Um, um, Oh, uh, the Buckles guy, uh, 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 Jeffrey Downs. They did an album called Icon together a few years ago, and they had uh, Hugh McDowell playing cello on that on a few tracks. So yeah, he's probably his buddy. <laughs> so go, it could be to sort of guy yeah, could be. And you know me, I'm always going to find a way to drag ELO into any music conversation. So I always thought this. Uh, I it's funny because I always associated this album with the later period King Crimson, like the Blue Levin heaviness of it and it wasn't until you know many years I started paying attention to lineups that I was like oh this is pretty much old school King Crimson this is this is from you know from the first album players but it's definitely moving into that that modern modern I say but it was like 80s then Right, you know when when Blue and and um, Tony Levin were in the band, and I think maybe that's why I like it. It's got aspects of both eras of King Crimson: that trippy heaviness, Mellotron going, but at the same time, the stuff that would later become like Discipline. Right, and it's almost pretentious at points, but not not really. I mean, when the musicianship is that high. Well, you know. that's the thing about King Crimson is I like them better than most art rock bands. I like my art rock bands when they don't take themselves too seriously, like ELO or, um, oh God, who else? Supertramp maybe is a good example. Right, right. But the pretentious, like, I can only take so much Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, yes. Any of that stuff. I like it, but it gets a little too, like, trying to be deep and heavy. And it usually comes off, like, especially, yes, as being, like, really hippy-dippy or or cheesy and dated. King Crimson never, even the most, you know, like, Moonchild and stuff like that, that would be really um, pretentious, bad, moody poetry stuff it succeeds because the music matches the mood so well and uh, very very rarely like say if I was on LSD theoretically listening to a King Crimson album would I end up laughing my ass off uh, let's say if I was listening to Book of Talizin by um, Deep Purple Deep Purple you know 
and, and stuff like that. It, it, as a matter of fact, King Crimson movie music can be downright creepy and terrifying on LSD, which I find is a testament to it. <laughs> because it it, 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 this sounds cheesy, but it sounds magical, you know? There were a lot of people in the 70s who were like, oh, let's do our Aleister Crowley type of very English music, kind of creepy, that, you know, that evokes the Moors and, you know, Aleister Crowley and stuff. That stuff's been dated. And I think Fripp didn't approach it like Jimmy Page. He's almost like more of a mad mathematician about it. And, uh... So I don't think it suffers from any of that. I don't think he was also like, I'm a study of Aleister Crowley and stuff. I think he's more of like, I've discovered these musical scales that when you put them together, you know, make the hackles raise on the back of your your neck or whatever. Because he uses them over and over again to great effect. Almost like a classical composer. I do that every time. What's that? A traffic note. The people that linger behind a tractor trailer in the right lane, as you're in the left lane about to pass, they wait until you're right there, then they pull out for you. They don't want you to get ahead of them, that's all. <laughs> nah. It's competition. It's just a weird thing. Anyway. This is one of those weird advertising cards, too. I wonder if it's like... Avon, or it's a bridal thing, right? Yes. Yeah, they're like wedding planners or something. I wonder if these... Sand- oh, no. Sandals. Oh, it's a... Resort destination. It's a resort destination. I wonder if they're like, there's someone who plans trips or whether they just got their car cheaper because it's got that <laughs> advertising, all advertising on it. That happens nowadays. You know, we were talking a minute ago about, you know, that King Crimson on acid could be a little scary, but that, the first time I heard Discipline, I was tripping pretty much full throttle and uh, at a friend's house. Nancy's? And, uh, well, it was actually at Dave Rapp's family's house. Oh, okay. And, uh, <laughs> I, I've tripped in that house. It was probably the same time. Uh, Chris Oakey from the Record Archives was with us that night. <laughs> yeah. Now, this was... The, I, de- definitely by the time I was at Dave Rapp's house for an acid trip, you definitely heard discipline. I remember my freshman year, I hadn't heard discipline, and Nancy would not play it except for special occasions. It was just like... <laughs> You're not ready for discipline yet. <laughs> Whatever, Nancy. I think she said that to a lot of fellas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was like the special album that could only be played during special occasions and was to be denied to people, the unworthy. The plebes. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good album. It is. <laughs> it is. But we're on red. So, um... Yeah, we might as well uh, jump right into it with the first song, which is Red, right? right? That's the first song.
I love this song. Yeah, me too. To say it's to say it's aggressive is kind of an understatement, <laughs> especially for its time. I think this came out oh. in '78 or something. Yeah. Hey, hey, hey. What was going on in '78? A lot of disco. And <laughs> well, and I mean, even the Stones were doing disco in '78. And all the other the other uh, King Crimson albums to this would have aggressive songs on them with really strong guitar. But this is some heavy shit. Yeah, and I mean, right in your face, first track, boom! I've only seen them once, and what my impression of them as a band, besides them being just the most in control of their instruments of anybody I've ever seen, they were the heaviest goddamn band I've ever seen, man. I've seen some speed metal bands that they would put to shame. They're not as fast, and maybe not as hard. Uh, constantly, but the consistent heaviness from beginning to end of that concert would have probably converted any any metalhead. Right, and not to take salt. anything away from uh, the really good speed metal bands, uh, but they they usually don't let their rhythm section go on a complete tear. No, where they become the focus of what's going on, and that's a hallmark of Crimson, where the the Crimson bass have a lot to say. Oh my God, they're, they're the, yeah, they're the huge foundation of this. And I mean, you got Bill Bruford just sort of going nuts. You know, he can right. he holds it down, but he's very good at adding um, a million little flourishes flourishes to it that don't that don't sound showy. They just they work. With the music. Here's that great cello part. Which nowadays they do with the with usually with MIDI, stick, MIDI and stick technology. Which is great, you know. I'm jealous are a pain in the ass to lug around for a traveling band. <laughs> And they're a pitch to mic and a pitch to mix. I just say, I think we're going to be hearing a lot of from this album. Oh, I would hope so. Uh, especially with the horn player from this album being being there. We're probably going to hear this song. This is always sort of part of their... Which I'll be very happy to hear. I'm going to be very happy to hear any, Every everything. <laughs> and it's one of those things, it's not, I don't have to worry like other bands that they're going to go and do their um, greatest hits or whatever, which would be okay. That would be great, whatever you would consider their greatest hits. <laughs> I guess they could play Gentleman's Guide or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, and this, like a lot of King Crimson, this so song, and like Jonathan Sagal's storytelling album, it almost seems like uh, the music's working through a process. Right, right. Progressing through a, a machine-like thing that... <laughs> so my, uh, my King Crimson origin story starts with uh, Chad Stone. Chad was my roommate uh, come my what, second year of college. Uh, actually, no, more like third or fourth year because I had bounced around with other roommates before. Um, Chad and I had this little tiny one-bedroom apartment. He had the front of it, and all that was is like two mattresses, you know, 
facing each other with a coffee table in the middle, yep. and then I had the back bedroom. And in that cramped little apartment, Chad had four guitars. You know, he had his um, uh, uh, Fender that was from the '50s with the ivory on the um, on the ta- on the um, frets was yellowed. It was that old of a guitar. Yeah. He had a six-string acoustic that he had with nylon strings that he was always working out his classical guitar stuff with that, you know, trying to play like Andreas Segovia. And then he had that great Yamaha 12-string, which nobody could make sound bad. It was that. <laughs> it was a beautiful sounding beautiful guitar. guitar. And I can't even remember what the fourth one was. I think it was another electric. It might have been, uh, I don't know if it was a second Fender or something else, but... Uh, but uh, Chad and I became roommates, and he immediately turned me on the King Crimson, and I think it was this album to start it with. He, he burned some incense, got a little high, and put this on, and my ears just kind of folded backwards. I was really quite amazed. Now, this guy looked like Andy Gibb, too. This, yeah, he, he was like your 70s, thin. you know... Real thin, real blonde. Feathered hair. Happy guy. Always happy and positive. Hey! You ever heard any King Crimson? I could totally see it. <laughs> sitting there Indian, putting it on, sitting there Indian style on the nodding its head. I could totally see it. Chad was one of the happiest people just to be around. I mean, he was brilliant. He was a physics major, and uh, but a philosophy minor, and was really into philosophy, and uh, was just a, a, a truly, truly brilliant guitar player. He'd been at it since he was eight, I think. Um, and I got to meet his father, Rocky Stone, who was a bass player who had been in some uh, bands around the Buffalo area. And it was Rocky that got me started playing bass. He brought me one of those little um, Paul McCartney imitation uh, uh, Honer guitar, uh, bass guitars. Taught me a couple songs. But Chad was, gave you a crappy little uh, amp. Yep, yep. But what's really brilliant about Chad was that he could listen to something once grab a guitar and immediately start to emulate it. And so, yeah, he had perfect pitch. Yeah, I mean, so he played me this album, you know, and then we flipped, we flipped the side the, the album back over, and he played that first song. So I said, I really want to hear that first song again. And he and then he picked up his guitar and started playing along with it, and he was no perfect, and he had that that whole technique, the Bob Fritt technique down. It was, yeah, it was really quite amazing. Uh, but it really, um, boy, those those long afternoons filled with incense and pot smoke and uh, King Crimson. I, I cherish those memories. <laughs> I remember listening to the their first album, sitting in Nancy's apartment, and uh, Jim Hansen sitting on top of a lazy boy chair on top on top on of, the yeah. top of a lazy boy chair like Snoopy during during one of the longer musical interludes on that album, and looking like a no you know wizard gnome just sort of like a gargoyle almost. Yeah. Yeah, he's a goofy-looking motherfucker. All right, I think we're ready for the next song, right, which is one of the second songs, Fallen Angel. I think so.
sort of classic early mellow this could have been on their first couple albums or yep. Wake of the Poseidon or Lark's Tongue in Aspic or any of those yep. so it's got the I don't know if that's an actual somebody playing a horn but it's got that Mellotron horn sort of yeah that's kind of a weird it. sound it almost sounds like a muted oboe or something yeah it, it makes me think that it's a, a Mellotron setting because yeah. Every note sounds the same sort of thing. It has a sort of like medieval um, instrumental feel to yes. it. Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> but I have a feeling we can hear stuff like this is where the saxophones start really uh, really blaring. coming in. And, and I'm really excited about that because when I saw them before, there were no horns right, involved. Right. This will be different. This will be different. This is going to have, like, sort of a little bit of the double trio feel, but then some of the old, old stuff. It's going to be an older lineup. So, like, physically older and sounds like more based on actual instruments than MIDI and, and stuff like that. So the horn parts will be real. Or at least there'll be one horn player. And I don't, I can't remember if he played baritone or alto sax on this album. Mm. Yeah, I wouldn't know the difference. <laughs> Never having been a horn player. But then as this goes on, it's got that really, uh, it's, it, it gets, it gets heavy. <laughs> yeah, heavy horns. Yeah, speaking of the, the overall tour, you know, here we are. Once again, being really, really fortunate that a world-class band like this is doing a pretty limited tour, and they're kicking it off in New York State. Yeah. And it's not New York City either, it's Albany, because a lot of times, like, uh, well, for example, Genesis, um, the last time King Crimson, uh, uh, Asia, when they toured, when they had their reunion tour Peter back in '05, Peter Gabriel, these guys love to open right in Rochester. Uh, I think in part because there's a lot of fealty to the uh, Eastman School of Music where a lot of those musicians uh, were schooled. Where they have to get a lot of their... Uh, <laughs> if if you're going to get successors... And, hey, frankly, a lot of guys in this band are starting to kick off, you know? But Rochester's just a great music town, and it's a great place for a... Uh, you know, a world a world touring band, or at least a uh, you know a North American well, touring band, to, to kick off their tour, play in maybe a smaller venue, shake down their sound equipment. Well, let's put it this way: Tony Levin lives here, right? <laughs> lives around here. That's why Genesis, or not Genesis, but um, Gabriel. Peter Gabriel yeah. started out and starts out in Rochester. It might be a matter of convenience because it might be Tony Levin has good connections for a place to rehearse. Yep, but. You know, that could that could very well be part of it. And Rochester, this this area is a good low-key... I don't know why they... they I mean, maybe they picked it because of this venue, because it's a very goofy... Not goofy, but kind of neat, artistic, spacey, right. weird place to start off with. I don't know. I'm pretty psyched that we're seeing the first show. 
Yeah. I wish I had the time and the money. Just catch the other show to, tomorrow night. Tomorrow night might be even more interesting, you know. The, you know, we're, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be, like, worried about, like, ah, maybe these guys need to get warmed up. Maybe they will get warmed up, and halfway through the tour, there'll be shows that are a lot better than this one. But I even... You you know with Fripp that they're not going to come out there half rehearsed, under-rehearsed, Oh, yeah. If there's, if there's any warts, we probably won't see them. No, yeah, or notice them or know what they are. Yeah, I'd be like really that. happy if there's a lot of improvisation. I remember seeing Adrian Ballou playing one of those like really uh, small venue, acoustic-only kind of uh, request and, and chat shows. And uh, it was so funny. He was sitting on that stool... And somebody asked him about about playing with Bob Fripp and what that's like, and he didn't have a bad thing to say about Bob. But there was a, there was a lot of fun dynamics between them, you know, because they're both perfectionists, they're both excellent. And so he started to play like um, um, the the lead line to uh, Frame by Frame, uh-huh. and it was really you know dee 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 dee, and and then he stopped playing that, and then he played Bob's part. He said, so when he, when I'm doing this, and I and Bob's doing this, blah, 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 and if somebody hits a bad note, it's really hard to tell which one of us did it. Yeah, right. And, and so, um, but you, you know, know somebody did it. But you know somebody did it, and Bob would hear it, and he would give, give and you know, hey, this is Adrian speaking, and Bob would look at me with his brows lowered and kind of a scowl on his face, and I'll just smile back at him like, pretty sure that it was his screw-up, not mine, but uh-huh. you know, when you're doing these kinds of things, who can tell? <laughs> So I doubt, you know, if there's, like, any goofy, like, one-note mistakes or something, it's like, we're not apt to notice. Well, it won't be Fripp, that's for sure. <laughs> well, if it is, he won't take responsibility for it. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, last time we saw him, it's so funny, he does not like being in the spotlight at all. No. He was back behind amps and just sort of sitting on his stool. Yeah, he's not the band spokesman. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's for sure. It's just the band despot. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right, are we ready to move on to the next one? Surely. What is the next one? Is it Fracture? Is uh, that the next one? It could be One More Red Nightmare. It could be. Well, we can always look at it, but it's more fun just to listen. this song tonight I'll throw a little fit if they play this song you know this is a great showcase for Wetton's vocals too great vocals 
great, the drums are just insane in this. It's got all kinds of neat stuff. It goes into a sort of swingy, jazzy part with the with the singing. And the hand claps. And those hand claps and the weird, like, almost duck-like, wow, wow, wow sounds. Yep. It's just another aggressive, and this one is almost kind of like a musical variation on Red. You know, it's he does that a lot, you know, where he'll pull... It's like a motif almost. Yeah, he'll pull he'll pull a riff and then turn it half inside out and make it into another song. Like Lark's Tongue and Aspic. Right. Which, it was funny, we were talking, you were talking about Construction of Light, so I was like, oh, I have to listen to that again, because I haven't listened to it in a while. Like, all right, I remember this album. I forgot it had, uh, had Lark's Tongue, Tongue and Aspic 4 in it. Yeah. Which somebody should make an album with all the Lark's Tongues and Aspects to see how they, uh... Woohoo! Yeah, I hate these jackholes that just aren't passing in the passing lane. So I just passed a guy doing about 95 on the right. <laughs> but, you know. Yeah, you can use terms such as asshole and asswipe here. You don't have to say say jackhole, unless you prefer jackhole. I, I, I was feeling jackhole that time. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we're, it's an on-the-road on the road episode. You can use cocksucker, motherfucker, all that shit. You drive it. There's just an episode of uh, Scott Gardner and Bill Robinson driving around Orlando. Uh, they'd just done a con. But, you know, they had Siri navigating them and cursing her out constantly. And, and it's funny because Scott worked so hard not to swear in all the other I podcasts. I know, I know. But it's, you know, he doesn't even try. When it's driving, eh, yep. why even try? <laughs> I try to be a Buddha on the road, but, yeah. That's why I don't have a car. I would not be a Buddha on the road. Well, the thing I is- would be a Buddha on the road a lot of times, but then when I'm not a Buddha... I would be a very bad not Buddha and would right. probably not have a car for very long. Well, it's funny because I, I used to get really knotted up driving on the throughway, but last year I was dating somebody two hours down the road from me, and so I was getting four hours of throughway driving a week, you know, most weeks, and I just kind of got used to it, and I, you know, I don't get too unhappy and miserable, but um, uh, one of our old mutual friends, Jeff Moore... Yeah. Recently uh, went on a long, long, long tirade on his Facebook because he, he made a trip from the North Country to Albany and back, and he had to drive on the throughway. And he's one of these people that just hates other bad drivers. And Jeff drives like me, a little fast. Well, then he's in a constant state of hatred then from beginning to end of He trip. was. I mean, he, he came back and, and wrote this, this whole long thing about the, the kind of asshole ways that people drive on the throughway. And I resonated with every one of them, but I was thinking, oh, man, you, you know... You obviously don't drive the throughway very much. <laughs> yeah, it's because uh, that, that's all part and parcel, you know. But they they end the course. Oh yeah, well I mean, it's humanity. You're out. <laughs> People drive like their personalities. Yes. And some are horribly hey. so unself-aware, and that's what it comes down to. Most of them are asleep on the freeway. That was funny, that timed out right when we were talking about the freeway. Yep. Now we get into the... The coda. Love the, the coda of this song. The working it out part. This is where the bass, yeah, starts yes. doing its bass thing. Oh, 
I, you know, I often when I'm listening to this album, especially if I'm listening to it digitally as opposed to on vinyl, I will, um, I'll just when I get to the end of the song, I'll back it up to about this point to hear this part over. I don't know. It always, uh, I always get this mental imagery of a uh, like a city skyscape, and it's like uh, just a wash in gray. You know, it's a, it's an overcast, and maybe uh, getting on towards sundown, and there's a big city skyline. I don't know why I get that imagery listening to this part of this song. This. This sort of stuff with King Crimson gives me pure psychedelic imagery, you know, like kaleidoscopic um, fractal stuff, just sort of branching off and, yeah, but that <laughs> that's from earlier experience listening to this album. <laughs> There's definitely something mathematical going on. Oh, but yeah. the thing is, math rock usually isn't doesn't work for me. It's not as exciting. No, this has so this has guts and heart to it and and it's organic at the same time. Which is you know, you can you can learn your trip techniques and stuff like that and learn to play all this stuff perfectly. And I've heard lots of, on YouTube, people doing King Crimson covers and stuff that are impressive. But when you see the real band and you oh, yeah. see the breath that they put into it, the, and the... No Bill Bruford at this one. So that'll be interesting. Well, that was exciting. So the reactions to that? To that song? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. just that's maybe why I like this album because it's got red and that song. Yes. On it. everything else is good, but those two songs are just like pure awesomeness. And there's still Fallen Angel and Fractured to Go. Oh, we listened to Fallen Angel. That was oh, the second one. Um, what's the other one then? We got Fractured. And, and then um, the Starless, and Bible, Starless and Bible Black. Yeah, sorry, which I was, is the name of another album. I know. I keep wanting. Well, it's just Starless on this one, right? But uh, yeah, it's just another example of them, you know, just, <laughs> just lifting sort of, something from another album and, or, and continuing with it. All right, so let's move on to Fracture. All righty.
Alright, here's another here's another little trick that King Crimson likes to play. They usually do it, they didn't do it with this album, they usually do it at the beginning of the album. Start out the album really quiet. I mean, really quiet to the point of where you don't know if your record or CD is playing at all. Yeah, like Island starts with like, Fomentero Lady or something, it's super quiet. And you see like, or even like 21st Century Schizoid Man. And you go, wow, this is really quiet. And then you crank it up, and then it goes, <laughs> about 15 seconds later. And this song hasn't done that yet, but it will. But it will. It'll get going. I, I'm pretty sure this is an improv. It's, it's just them, like, playing off each other. Which I could watch a whole concert of them doing that. Eight miles. Eight miles to a rest stop. Because I drank two cups of coffee, two glasses of water for, for breakfast. And you're working on an iced tea now. Working on this iced tea. Speaking of which, I got some iced tea here too. Yeah, this is this is a King Crimson that it's like, this is not the first King Crimson songs I would be playing for anybody. Right, right. And if it was the kind of person that this would be the first King Crimson songs I would be playing it for, they should be ashamed of themselves because they should be familiar with it by now. Right, right. Yeah, this is not something that would be you know, like a introduction to King Crimson 101 for, uh, for people you think might come to enjoy it. Uh, you know these improv things. It's a little bit of little bit of a developed taste. Oh, for sure. <laughs> and, and there seems to be one of these at least per album. Yeah, one good stretch of just sort of. And I've noticed with their concerts, there usually is the one concert I saw. They started going into a really nice improv where they were making animal sounds, like bird sounds and animal sounds. And I was getting really psyched because I was like, ooh, Adrian Ballou, Elephantosity, get a little animal stuff going here. And it just started heating up. It was getting really cool. And some Rochester asshole in the audience yells, Flip! Flip! And it just ended. Uh, it ended. It probably jangled him, and he was just like, "Oh, improv over." Yep. I've lost my concentration. Yep. Somebody spoke my name. <laughs> now I remember when we saw them in, in Rochester in '95. Uh, I was tripping. <laughs> Seems like I do that a lot, doesn't it? Sitting in the front row. Now, were you right with me in the front row? I was not. I was in the balcony. Okay, because I was in the front row with probably Ken and Barb, who we're going to join later tonight for the show. And I remember a song ended, and I was so just like overwhelmed with excitement and joy that I just stood up without thinking about it and was clapping my hands stupid. But when I stood up, I, I had a little bit forward momentum, and I took one step forward to get my balance. And in the time it took me to take that one staggering step forward, security were closing on me immediately. They did not want a stage rusher because they heard that people do that in Rochester, I guess. And I remember Adrian, you know, and I, I was so close to him on the stage, I couldn't see him below his knees, you know, because the stage was that close. And I remember him, he, he had his eye on me, and he kind of, like, did a head cock, like, eh, what's this guy doing, you know? 
but I took my seat really quick. I didn't even mean to take a step forward. I was just a little enthused. <laughs> How rowdy can can that might have been our friend Fennel that that uh, put them on alert with that. Because he did have to get hauled off the stage at a Macy Gray concert. <laughs> and of course, Dylan had so many stage rushers that was like a backup man. <coughs> yeah, I, I just don't see too much stage rushing, stage diving at a Crimson concert. No. I see the average age of concert goers being a must be about 50, I would have to say. Well, in fact, we saw them. We're going to be young guys. We're going to be young guys there. (laughs) At the Auditorium Theater, they had a rule for that show that if you stood up and you left the the venue, I mean, if you left the the hall where the music was playing to go to the bathroom or something, you were not allowed back in the hall until there were between songs. And for a band that does a lot of 8 to 10 minute long songs, that could be an eternity that you're stuck outside. You know, but I know they the, the, the band had that house rule. Anyone that gets up and walks out for whatever reason, they can't come in during the song. That's bizarre. Just well, that's, minimize the amount of like disturbance. That's probably on Fripp. That was probably on probably. Fripp's writer. That was probably not a. Yeah. Well, well, that was at the Auditorium Theater, <coughs> which is they're pretty used to rock and roll concerts by now. But sometimes, all I remember is. Uh, we were there with Ken Moore, and it's you know it's a it's a nice old classic theater, and we were off at the was there a break or something? There might have been a break. I think there was a break because we were off sort of we went somewhere to a bar and got a couple drinks, and we were all tripping, and Ken Moore just was lighting up joints, and we were lighting up cigarettes and smoking them like in this hallway there, unmolested. Yep. So weird. Because you could smoke in the foyer. Uh, they had, a, they actually had a, a little bar there. We didn't have to leave the venue. Right, right. But they allowed smoking in the in the foyer and the, the bar. Did they? Area. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I'm just so used to smoking not being allowed anywhere. That I think I that was before we were, the laws uh, too. You know, we have to remember we were, this was 20 years ago. I know, I know. I and I think of that like going like, man, it was you know, just recently I got to see King Crimson again. <laughs> That was 22 years ago. Right. I know, right? All right. I am definitely going to be taking this here rest stop. Perfect. Right at the end of the song. Yes, I feel myself clenching. Oh. (laughs) That kind of rest stop. Ew. (laughs) Well, clenching my bladder. Oh, okay. (laughs) Things have gotten uncomfortable. That's all. All right, rest stop area. We're going to take a piss, and then we're going to finish off this King Crimson album. All right, we're back. We just stopped at the rest stop, took a piss, saw a disturbing sign at the water fountain that said, do not wash your hands and face in this water fountain for drinking only, right next to the bathroom. So apparently that must be a problem at the rest stop is people washing their face in the and hands in the drinking fountains. I wonder if that might be for international visitors who see that and it looks like a washing station. You think so? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to think so, but I don't think so. <laughs> Funny. I think it's people holding their grubby little kids over it and washing their faces and hands in it. <laughs> That's what I think. Good God-feared Americans. And then, at Burger King saw the worst graphic design ever. They have chicken f- 
fries. And they have a little box that it comes in, which is a sad, frowning... It's a mixture of sadness and horror of a chicken. Chick face, a chicky chick. Chick face, looking at a pile of its dead brethren battered and fried in front of it. It's very disturbing. (laughs) Speaking of which, let's uh, hit the next song, which is... um, uh, Starless. This song is definitely a throwback to the Starless and Bible Black album. Yeah, a lot of Mellotron really sets the mood. I love the Mellotron in this. It makes the song sound 20 years old, or, you know, 10 years older than it actually is. But it's got that operatic... This is where where King Crimson takes itself kind of seriously and semi-poetically, but it works. Yeah. Without being sappy or or syrupy or just cheesy, which this stuff is. Right. I wish I had the album credits to hand for this because I'm. This sounds to me like a, a wet and composition. Yeah. And it's it's really funny because every, everything King Crimson is attributed to Fripp, but you can hear the shape of the entire band change when he adds different when he added but I mean you can hear especially in like three of a perfect pair discipline you can hear Adrian Ballou like the songs that are Adrian Ballou King Crimson songs right right like Alpha Talk 
Elephant Talk. Uh, Once you're familiar with Adrian's writing, you know, you know, you can Prozac tell. Blues and yeah. stuff like that. And, Dinosaur. You know, and I'm a big time Wetton fan. I, I, I've followed a lot of his career, you know, um, UK, you know, while well, he was in Crimson, you know, before that. And then he was in UK, which was again with Bruford and Eddie Jobson. And I think the other guy was Alan Holdsworth. I don't think I've ever heard any UK. It's good. It's um, it's good progressive rock, you know. It, uh, it, you know, it won't sound unfamiliar to you if you heard it. Right, right. Well, and then, especially with those two on it. Because UK was like a, a kind of a, a super group that was a prelude to John Wetton's next super group, which was Asia. You know, which had a great lineup. Wasn't Wetton in? He wasn't in Emerson Lake. I'm thinking. No. So it was Greg Lake was a singer for Crimson for a but while. Then, yes, and um, and also bass player. And so Wetton kind of took his place. And then Lake went down to and they're very Palmer. similar. They're and then Lake wound up back with, well, wound up with, no, not Lake, but Palmer wound up with Wetton in Asia. Yeah, Lake's vocals and Wetton's vocals. Similar. Very similar to me. Yeah. And that's why this guy that they got there, he's sort of somewhere in between the two of those. So that's why I'm thinking they sort of got that guy to cover that time period in Crimson. Yeah, or, I mean, you know, that swath of time period. What I'm expecting tonight is I'm going to miss Adrian Ballou somewhere between very little and not at all. Yeah. Me, I, I, although I'll say this. It was amazing watching him when he played with him last oh, time. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, you, you were saying you couldn't see him from the knees down. In, one of the things that I had from my perspective, which was from an upper, upper deck, I could see the entire stage and the place isn't that big so it wasn't like nosebleed seats no it's only a 3,000 seat venue I yeah. think at most and this one's only a 1,000 seat I venue <laughs> and uh less than a thousand and um I could see where he'd chalk mark down the floor probably during their rehearsal all these spots and I'm like yeah that's weird you know cause I, I, I don't, I've worked a lot backstage at a lot of concerts and stuff and it was obvious that, like, okay, somebody's marked up the stage for some reason. Well, during the show, for certain songs, you would watch him walk over to a walk over to a spot, and not only would it, that spot be like, come here to this mark, but it would be like, turn in this direction. And that would be where he'd, get, he'd go, he'd look down at it, and he'd turn a little bit, and that would be where he got the right feedback sound oh. for that particular song. So he had places to go to get perfect the sound he wanted in relation to his to his speakers. stacks and monitors. Yeah. yeah, wow, that's amazing. It was pretty amazing. Like I said, I've never heard a band in more control of their sound. And and I've heard lots of bands that were so in control that it, you know, it lost some life. But they King Crimson lets themselves build to the point where you think they're going to blast out of control it's, it's just an amazing experience yeah it almost feels like you're going to hit the guardrails yes and through the whole show <laughs> <laughs> that was another thing I'm used to during a concert having a lull where it's like uh, to just sort of relax float through this song and, yep. and take a little break not a second of that at King Crimson. No. Another thing is, when you go to see a band and they have maybe new material or haven't been around for a while, 
or they're touring on new material. A lot of the times, people aren't looking forward to the new material as much. They want to hear familiar stuff. Uh, when we saw them, it was maybe half familiar stuff. Right. right. Half of it was brand new yeah, stuff. Yeah, they were supporting the Frack and Vroom releases. Which I hadn't heard that album at that point. Nope. And, uh, and I don't even know if they're supporting a new release on this tour or not. I don't think so. I think uh, the way he put it was they've reconfigured a lot of classic King Crimson songs, is what he said. Who knows what that means? I don't care what it means, actually. That's the album ending, and then it kicked over to the radio. Oh, okay. And it's a (laughs) gospel station. station. Well, do you want to hear for more Crimson? Do you want to? Hear more crimson, or oh yeah, I'd be up for some more crimson. I say, I say we call it at this point. Okay, we pretty much covered this album, but there will be a bonus. Keep so don't. It's not like the radio, so I'm not gonna say keep tuned in. But we will be reviewing uh, our concert after we see it, so that will be tacked on right after uh, you hear us talking now. Hey, nice chatting with you guys. Yeah, we'll see you after King Crimson. (laughs) There will now be a short intermission. All right. (laughs) Another half hour of your life burned. Um, We're on our way back from Albany, coming from King Crimson, listening to some King Crimson. Um... I we just talked for a half an hour while I uh, forgot to push record on the re- uh, which you dumbass. So so I'm gonna pretend I'm asking for the first time. Hey Mike, what'd you think of the show? It was brilliant. <laughs> it was fantastic. It was uh, a complete tour de force of uh, old material. We only heard uh, a few tracks that were like the post Baloo era. And, and nothing from those three first, you know, Baloo and Bruford albums. Um, the post-Baloo stuff, just to recap that again, was we heard Frack. We heard, or, I'm sorry, Thrack. Not Frack. We heard Thrack. We heard um, uh, Construction, Construction of, of Light. Light. And then uh, we also heard, uh, after Thrack, they played a coda that I think was the coda that's somewhere in that Construction of Light album towards the end. I don't think it was off of, like, the Thrack and Vroom uh, sessions. Yeah. We heard a couple songs off Lark's Tongue and Aspic, which is... At least a couple. A lot of old sp- spooky stuff. Um, a lot of Mellotron-y stuff. The, the singer was definitely um, uh, of the old-school right. operatic He didn't sound quite like Wetton or quite like Lake or quite like Sinfeld, but... I have you know, a feeling that he might not have been an English speaker. It, might it was be. a little bit of that, you know, that like phonetically learned the words. But boy, like, especially when it was quiet, he could he could belt it out. Yeah, there a were a couple pipe, set of pipes, pipe points where he had a um, was having a hard time. I'm trying to remember which song, but he was going high. When he was supposed to go high on the other one, and it was screwing up the rest of the band. They wanted to change because it sounded like uh, it was. um, uh, Oh, um, was it? Was it? No, I can't remember. It wasn't pictures of a city. 
Anyway, oh man, we picked the right album to do on long play too because they, right. they pretty much did three fifths of Red, which makes sense because they, they had the horn player from Red there. They didn't play they, Providence, and they didn't play uh, Fallen Angel. Fallen Angel, yeah. But they played Red. They opened with Red, in fact. I'll bet you they'll be amazing. playing Fallen Angel like in the tour. I'll bet you that's in the. And the other song seemed like an improv. So, plenty of little improvs and weird little improvs. This Um, this they played last night. Yes. The tune that currently just queued up that I don't know the name of. (laughs) Because that's kind of the nature. I mean, I listen to a lot of King Crimson, but I don't necessarily, like, you know, have the album credits in front of me to see the names of the songs even. I'm good at figuring out which albums they came from, Bob. It's one of the first three albums. I think it's on... Well, we're listening to... We're listening to Waking Up the Titan right now, right. so there you go. Second album. Which was like, sort of like... It was sort of like a copy of the first album, really. It, it, like, the songs followed the same sort of... Like, like a really... Downs, yeah. A really aggressive one in the in the front. Um, let's let's talk about the lineup of, of how they... And specifically how they set this up on the stage. Yeah, I wish I'd known the, the names of the uh, other two drummers because... Uh, so, the front of the stage was I occupied like the by... the other two drummers better than Mastellano. Yeah, right. So, stage left... The, the Well, the front, the entire front row on the stage was three drum kits. Uh, Pat Mastellano was on our far left. And then in the middle was... I don't know who that guy was. He was kind of con- the drum conductor, though. Yes, he, he was, was like the focal point of. He was the white-haired, like professor-looking guy. Yeah. And then the other guy looked like the younger guy that they sort of dragged along. Was like, okay, I'll play in King Crimson. Yeah. Holy and shit, this is complicated. <laughs> he's an absolutely amazing drummer. We've got uh, her being followed by the police right now. All right. Yeah, their lights aren't on. That's always good. That's always a good thing. I'm probably just in their way. This could but be. But I'm gonna a, I'm gonna shave five miles off the speed here. <laughs> this could be an exciting podcast. Pulled over. Tell them when we, when we get pulled over. Tell them you know your rights. Tell them, tell them you don't have to do shit. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly go. what I'm gonna say. Ah, uh, there they As go. As opposed to my normal way of saying, "Hello, officer. Beautiful day, isn't it?" I skate on a lot of tickets that way. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Okay, so the let's do the lineup again. So we have the three drum kids, we have Mastelato, and we don't know the names of the other two guys. But that guy in front of us was extraordinarily talented, but seemed the most lost. We saw he him was, counting with his mouth a lot. He was like counting down. He was he up. was paying sharp, sharp, sharp attention at every second and watching the other two drummers like a hawk. Yeah. But the, the you know okay so now the back line. Uh, starting from the left was uh, Mel Collins on the uh, saxophones and flutes and whatever else. And then we had uh, the wonderful Tony Levin playing all sorts of uh, bassy type instruments. And then we had the uh, new guitarist, uh, Jocko or Yako, whatever his name is, Polish guy apparently. And then we had, you know, Bob Fripp in case like three quarters of the way with like walls of equipment and lights and monitors, G-Gaws and whatnot. With the dead blank look on his face. As always. Oh, and everybody was in like a vested suit. Yeah. Three-piece vested suit. Uh, Tony Levin took his jacket off like three-quarters through. Very, very uh, Very sharp. sharp. Yes. Yes, actually, the Jocko guy looked like um, 
Looked like Doctor Who. Yeah, he kind of did. Kind of an old-fashioned uh, vestige. I'm suit. trying to remember which Doctor Who it was that they... Uh, Sylvester McCoy, Doctor McCoo, Doctor McCoo, Doctor McCoo. <laughs> it's the Scottish version. What's new, Doctor McCoo? Yeah, instead of Welsh, he's Scottish. <laughs> oh, McCoo, you've done it again. Um, now here, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna concur that it was a. I mean, it was a brilliant. It's, it's King Crimson. All the, the compositions are brilliant. They definitely. And I'm thinking not to read Fripp's mind, God forbid. I'm thinking without Baloo, who was a frontman, Baloo moved around and played the crowd. This was a lineup of people. And nobody talked to us. No, nobody <laughs> talked to us at all. Yeah, nobody. They, uh, they had pre-recorded stuff. They had this guy doing this like weird interview with uh, Fripp, probably, and he kept going, um, um, Well, um, yeah, they... they um, um, he probably did that once, and they yeah, just were they like, "This guy's a moron." And, yeah. and the progressive rock, um, what is that? Um, um, you know, it was kind of funny, but I'd rather. I, I, I assume that Tony Levin or maybe that center drummer would take the the role of being the band spokesperson, and yeah. maybe introducing the band members. That would have been nice. Yeah, there was no introduction of the band. I gotta tell you, Robert Fripp is such a little prick, but at the same time. <laughs> You know, I've never been at a rock concert that had such dead, silent audience. The audience was like, we're sta- when it got quiet, the audience got dead silence except for a couple idiots. There's always, who always a couple have idiots to, that have to go me, me, me and say something stupid. Uh, Other than the one I yelled out Freebird was kind of like at the right moment. It was a little funny. It was a little funny, but the, the thing about that is Fripp is such a little prick. That you got to worry about yeah, these guys. He might guys. just pack up his gear and walk yeah, out the you, stage. Yeah, these you. guys might piss him off, and, and you might lose a concert out of it, or or you might lose like intensity in a song. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. But um, oh, we but, got a giant lecture before the show. Uh, it was a recording of all the bandmates talking about how much they hate being photographed on stage, and don't please don't record us. And, you know, wouldn't you ma- rather much rather look at the band itself than look at your phone? And I agree with that, but it was just it was very condescending. Why watch us? Why and it was watch trying us on a to small be, screen in front of you when you can just put it down and watch us? It was just it was very passive aggressive and condescending. But whatever, I come to expect that from Robert Fripp. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there were I mean they were there there were some jagged. It, it, it happened with the louder songs. Let's talk about the wards. Yeah, the, the, it happened with the louder songs, and I think Fripp was trying by putting the three drums in front to put a more visual element. And they had a lot of things that they'd worked out where one guy would do one thing next, and then they'd go back and forth oh, between yeah. the three of them. That, which was a lot of fun. There was a it lot was of very great visual, spectacle to the drumming. It was visually, it was a visual front thing, but. Maybe this was because we were in a theater of a thousand people and like in the third row. Those drums are loud. And the guitar, the, the I mean... Yeah, Bob could have turned up. That would have been Bob's nice. not a very loud guitar player. He's a precise... Sounds exactly like... It's Bob Fripp playing guitar. It's amazing to hear those, those very specific guitar parts. But... The drums just physically being there, you know, they're mic'd and everything like that, but they were just pounding out. So when it got, it was getting kind of muddy at some of the louder parts, and you can't get muddy with King Crimson because you're counting like, 
you're, you're counting on a change on on 13 or something like that. Right. Stupid like that. So you have to know where it is. And you could hear them get lost. Now, when they got lost, it's lost for like a fraction of a second. Right. But a fraction of a second it's all it takes. Can, can jar up a, a King Crimson song. Now, on the way in, we were talking about the difference between catching a first show versus a, a show in the middle of the tour. Yes. Um, where they have all the warts worked out and all the kings worked out. But, and we were talking about, I don't know, I like catching the first show because I like the warts. Um, oh, but I was, we were talking that maybe if there were mistakes, we wouldn't be able to notice them. But there, there we was. We were noticing them. And there was, you know, uh, Levin played one bad note. It was like really obviously. I heard Levin's bad note. I heard, I heard almost everybody goof up yep. at some point, which is. It makes them mortal. I like that. It's well, the first time I saw them, they were a god because nobody fucked up. Nobody. As, as a matter of fact, they were so on their cues and so cocky about it that they were at that point where, all right, we got the songs precise. Let's fuck with them. Yeah. And it was super, super intense. Maybe if you catch the 10th show of this show, they're going to be at that point. And it'll probably be... It, uh, if you catch a show that's worse than the one we saw, it's still going to be fucking fantastic beyond and it was. most other concerts. Yeah. As a musician, I was like, okay, this is kind of warty, but that, uh, that at first I was a little disappointed with that. Then I was like, ooh, now it's, it's like go to school time. Right. Start watching what everybody's doing. And we, best, we really got a drum clinic last night. Oh, you know? Jesus. Didn't we? And the thing was, you know, the guy, the drummer closest to us was obviously the least integrated with the rest of the band, and it showed a little bit, but he was extraordinarily talented. I liked his solos well, his solo better brilliant. Than, than the other guy's solos. Right. And the thing is, um, one, of, one of my friends, Matt, you know Matt, the sound guy, yeah. was like, not going to go to this, because he's like, I don't want to see it with Pat Mastellano without Bruford. And I missed Bruford because Bruford's so organic. Yeah. And in fact, I wanted, I wanted to make a joke coming out of the show, like pretending to be an old man on a crutch, going, "Back in my day, we got by with only one drummer." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? but, but it was Blue or uh, Bruford, so it was like having three anyway. But um, <laughs> you know, it, it's it was flourishy. Bruford has a flow to it, and I think Fripp was like when they did like Red. They gave it almost a march drum, like right. precision, bump, 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 which made it just sound weird because the back end wasn't doing much different. With it was like the the rearrangements that he did, he did them to make the drum beat a little different. Right. And I think maybe like that was hard for the rest of the guys because they've been touring around playing King Crimson songs traditionally. Right, the way they've been <laughs> And they're very recorded. used to it, yeah. yeah. I mean, Levin, you're not going to fluster Levin for very long because he's like the consummate studio musician for hire. He's like, you know, he's a force of nature. He's got his whole shtick where he's long and tall and... Yeah. And... He casts a long shadow. Yeah, and, but, you know, he's got this whole body language of, I'm, you know, very, very good posture, perfect posture of to play precision with and stuff, and it's just very striking to see. I remember uh, early in the show watching uh, Levin using a bow 
for one of the, the base sticks, one of the sticks basically, and uh, and I remember thinking in the back of my mind, I wonder if he ever uses those like those um, prosthetic fingers to play bass anymore. And later Zip. in the show, we got it. Yeah. And he brought out his bass. I'm guessing for a large fucking aspect. I'm guessing that bass, like the actual playing an old school real bass. Oh, yeah, the four-string had a paint job for, like, a Three the, of a Perfect Pair Yeah, design. I bet you that was from the Three of a Perfect Pair tour. Album art, yeah. At one point, I thought they were going to play uh, um, Sleepless. Yeah. But, uh... Which I would have loved. Not. That would have been pretty cool. Um, it would have been interesting to see who was going to sing it. But I, I... The best parts for me were the improvs and the quiet parts. Sometimes when the drummers are playing quietly or hand drums, like the talking drum, yeah, and it, and you could it, at that point the sound was you know precision, precise. Yeah, it was a and, nice loud show, but it didn't hurt my ears. You know, the the bass felt great. The bass drums were exciting. Yes, that close. I like a nice thumpy show. Yeah, I, so. I'm, I guess, you know, I mean, if there's King Crimson fans out there, it's not like we're going to talk you in or out of seeing <laughs> no. the show. If you get a chance to see it, see it. It was pretty cool to see it with because, you a know, thousand that, people. It, it could very well be the last tour. Could be. They're getting long in the tooth. Yep. It's hard to believe it was 20 years ago that I saw them, and my girlfriend at the time was like, I don't know, I think these guys are too old to rot. I mean, it's been hard. It's hard to believe that Fripp has been doing this since I was in diapers. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's just his career, not his life. Wow. Because I think he was doing Giles, Giles, and Fripp when I was born. Or is it Giles, Giles, and Fripp? Yeah. I don't know. But well, I think that was I'm made right. when I was in the 66 year I was born. But, um, oh, man, and and the concert was cheap for a concert. $36 for a, ticket. For a thousand people intimate King Crimson experience. Yeah, that just doesn't happen. So, I think, I think that was less than my ticket twenty years ago to see it at the Auditorium <laughs> Theater. Yeah. Well, yeah, successful road trip, successful long play, and you get a bonus concert review. Probably by the time you hear this, they'll probably the tour's be over, dude. <laughs> it's only seventeen shows. They'll probably almost be over. Well, we talked a lot about that last night too. About maybe they will uh, get through the seventeen. If it goes well, set, yeah, maybe, maybe they'll. You know, see, I think though that's wishful thinking. Yeah, that's wishful thinking because with Thrack, that tour they had all this new material and the enthusiasm for new stuff that they'd all worked out together and recorded together. Yeah, they got a lot of forward momentum on that yeah and this is a straightforward retrospective show it's a different definitely is different beast you no never know product. maybe they didn't be... have any new product to push or anything nope just a bunch of t-shirts and they, they had a double cd with like some unreleased stuff on it and oh, stuff and you, like and that you grabbed something from the merch table i did i grabbed a vinyl uh copy of red 200 grams of vinyl. Of vinyl. 20 extra more than I ever see on I, heavy I'm not the heavy vinyl. We'll see how it sounds. It should sound. I got a new uh, keyboard, or new keyboard, new uh, turntable, and new um, vinyl, or um, needle. I'm punchy, man. <laughs> I'm half awake. Um, 
Yeah, and I imagine when I when I mix this, I will use that that the that vinyl as the bed for the beginning of the song. So you'll actually be you have been hearing the in the beginning the my cherry vinyl from fresh from King Crimson. But overall, the show, I would say, lots of excitement, lots of intensity, lots of uh, tension and release, and a lot of fun to watch those drummers. Oh, I, my uh, God. I, I can only imagine things are going to get tightened up in a hurry. I wish I could afford to, like, catch one of the, like, the last I New wouldn't want to be at the show. breakfast meeting today with Fripp, though. No. No, I would not have liked to have been at backstage with Fripp. He was probably handed out a note with the, every infraction that everybody made. That's right. In, it's a demerit on your per diem. In, infraction. <laughs> Zappa used to do shit like that. He used to give him bonuses for learning stuff fast. <laughs> all right. And to all my friends in Australia, I'm sorry, guys, but they're not going to get there. Yeah. Again, you guys get boned. Sorry, no Crimson for you. But you got the Wiggles. Would you like to dance with me? I'd love to! Dorothy, Dorothy, would you like to dance with me? What are we doing first? Well, first you take your hands and you put them on your hips. This is fun! Just sway from side to side and let your backbone sleep. Hey. Fruit salad, yummy, yummy. Fruit salad, yummy, yummy. Fruit salad, yummy, yummy. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and a number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. And this is your Uncle Don saying good night. Good night, little kids. Good night. We're off? Good. Well, that ought to hold the little bastards. <laughs>